for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Right, well, Corrie ten Boom is the talk, um, and uh, if you were in last Sunday, it's just really cool, isn't it, hearing about different people of faith that maybe you didn't know about, or you do, and you just want to hear about them again. Um, and uh, so Corrie ten Boom is somebody that I've loved since I was probably first discovered her when I was about 17 or 18 years old. Um, I've read a lot of her books. And when I went travelling, I took some of her books with me because they were such an encouragement to me, uh, just in my life and my journey, really. So Corrie ten Boom means quite a lot to me. I've never met her, obviously, but um, doesn't mean that she can't have an impact in my life because of what God did in her life. So I'm hoping that um, if you don't know Corrie ten Boom, one, it will give you an opportunity to maybe go and get one of her books. Um, and if you do know her, that it will inspire you once again uh, in just your faith and where you're at as well. Um, but uh, before we begin, so I don't know if you know, if you don't, this is where the youth, uh, the year 11 pluses meet in this room, um, and this is where we have our all together sessions. So I'm going to treat it a little bit like a youth session. So uh, this requires a little bit of engagement. Yay! And um, <laughs> we're going to do a quiz to start off with, because I appreciate some of you will actually know a bit about Corrie Ten Boom already, and you may know her story and her much better than I do to start off with. So we're going to do a quiz, and there are prizes. You can't have a quiz without prizes. Um, so the first question is, does anybody know where Corrie ten Boom is from? What was her nationality? Oh, quick. Dutch. Dutch. She was Dutch. Um, oh, I don't know how to do this other than throw them at you. Are you good at catching? <laughs> oh, good catch. Um, and does anybody know how many siblings she had? Slightly harder question. Oh, Catherine, tentative. Oh, no, no. Anybody want to? Seven. No, lower. <laughs> lower than four. Three. Three. Who said three? <laughs> yes. Three. All right. So she had three siblings. So she, um, her, she had two sisters and a brother, Betsy, Nolly, and William. And we'll hear more about them as they go along. They were integral to her ministry for part of a, a season in her life. And they worked really closely together for uh, what God was asking them to do. So we're going to hear more about them as well. So that's Betsy, Nolly and William. Um, Right, does anybody know what her job was? So when she was an adult. (laughs) She was. Watchmender, yes, fantastic. Would you like a chocolate now or some sweets? <laughs> this is great, you can win them all. There we go. You've come to the right seminar. Um, so a very cool fact about Corrie ten Boom is that she was a watchmaker. Um, her father was a very respected, well-known watchmaker in the Netherlands and his grandfather as well. So it's a family business. And um, so she got involved because her dad actually wasn't a very good businessman. He, um, he was very good at fixing things, but not necessarily the business side. So she started doing the admin and that sort of stuff. And then she started fixing the watches, the clocks and that sort of things. Um, and the other cool fact is that she was the first woman in the Netherlands to become a licensed watchmaker. So she was quite a pioneer in other industries other than in uh, sort of her ministry in terms of spreading the gospel. She was actually a pioneer in 
other parts as well. So very cool. So she was the first licensed watchmaker uh, in Holland. Okay, so next question. Does anybody know what she did other than her work? So what took up a lot of her time? Rosie? She, she hid Jews yes. in the Holocaust. <coughs> that she did. We're going to get on to that in a second. Sweets or chocolate? Chocolate. <laughs> Here we go. Thank you. Um, so, yes, she hid Jews. Uh, we're going to rewind back a bit before she got to that. She was about 48 or so, uh, maybe a bit older when she started doing that. But what did she do from like her 20s, 30s, 40s outside of her work? Looked after children. Yes. What, t- what age of children? Well, I don't know. Like that is all right. Sweets or chocolate? <laughs> Chocolate. Have a bueno. Right, going long. Oh, that's good. Yeah. All right, I can go home now. Um, so yeah, she looked after children. She was a youth worker for many years of her life. Um, she set up many youth clubs within the city that she lived in in Harlem, um, and she, uh, many points, was having multiple. Girls' clubs, youth clubs, boys' clubs, that sort of thing. She had a real heart for uh, teenagers to know the gospel. And um, she, I think at one point she had about 40 leaders helping her on the book. So it, was just, it just kept growing and growing. So she was a youth worker. Um, and the second thing that she used to do, for 20 years of her life, uh, every Sunday she would hold a, uh, a church service for individuals with learning difficulties. So she had a huge heart for children, adults that had learning difficulties. And she faithfully served that ministry for 20 years of her life. And um, that all started, one of the stories of where things root from, isn't it? There's often a root when you have a ministry of what makes you then start it. When she was very young, she was about five or six, she uh, had a real passion for the homeless uh, in her city. And they would often go out, she'd see them, she'd be like, Mum, what do I do? Can we help these people? And her mum would be like, pray, pray, Corrie, pray. And so she would learn to pray for those people. And then one instance was she was out with her sister and they uh, came across a very rowdy group. Uh, They were fighting and it turned out they were all fighting on this homeless guy who had learning difficulties and didn't understand what was going on. And as a small six-year-old, she intervened on his behalf and said, stop what you're doing, be kind to this man. And um, it all stopped which is very cool, the power of a child, isn't it? And the voice of reason in what was a very unreasonable situation. And um, this chap then comes over to her, not in a very good state, but gives gives her a kiss on each each cheek and says, thank you. Um, But then to her sister's horror, she's like, rubbish, he's touched her because he's unclean, takes her home. Um, And she says, Mum, what can we do for this man? And she says, pray, Corrie, pray, pray for these people. So she had a real heart for her town. Um, at such a young age and her mum was growing in her the power of prayer and that prayer changes things I don't know if you, anybody else was in a Lachie's talk last week uh, with Catherine Coleman Catherine Coleman had uh, the sign above the church that said prayer changes things and I think there's a bit of a theme that goes on with maybe a few of our history makers in that they believe that prayer changes things and Corrie was of that disposition as well um, so yeah, so she was a youth worker and she uh, worked with those with uh, additional needs. Um, next question: Does anybody know who she married? A man. <laughs> 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 Incorrect. 
didn't actually get married. Sorry, Esther, you had your hand up. Were you going to say that? No one. No one. Sweets or chocolate? Or Werther's, sorry. <laughs> Hit me. Um, so she actually didn't marry anyone in her whole lifetime. There was no marriage, divorce or anything, or widowing. Um, but she, in her 20s, I think it was, she, she did meet a guy. And she, they had discussed marriage and they had uh, talked about a future. But things rapidly changed and he ended up breaking it off. And he ended up marrying another lady in which she experienced a huge amount of heartbreak and sort of questions. When you get heartbreak or struggles, don't you tend to question a bit, go, God, what, what's the purpose of plans? So um, she experienced heartbreak, but then she resolved in herself to go, right, God, I'm going to follow you. You are the one that I'm after. And as a single person, it can be a hard, per- it can be a hard line to, to walk when you want to ask lots of questions. God, why have I not met anyone yet? But actually, God's going, I have plans and purposes uh, trust in me and um, keep walking with me. So for me, that's a great encouragement. I'm like, yes, all right. You know, there's people that have been there, they've done that, and I'll take their witness and God's faithfulness to them, and I'll apply it to my life as well. Um, so the next one is, so during the Second World War, this comes back to what Rosie said earlier, uh, her family home contained a secret room so they could hide Jews. How many people do you think could fit into that secret room? they had at the very top of their house there's still some sweets on the line you can guess it's no more than three less than 15 more than three uh, yeah i know you're about six is that six yes now would you like sweets or worthers those ones oh bad throw sorry <laughs> So yeah, she, they, in their house they could uh, house six uh, fugitives uh, in their secret room, which they built especially. Um, I'm not going to go into the story of what they did there a huge amount, because there's so much to their story uh, all together as a family. But um, they had a real heart. Their, her father was a very, very strong Christian. Their families were, and they had a real heart for looking after the Jews. And they, they were really convicted. They started in about 1942, where they then built the, the safe room. And they then offered their home as a safe place to the Jews that were obviously going through a huge amount of persecution from the Nazis. Um, and they risked their lives daily by taking Jews in. And they knew at some point they could be found out. Somebody could uh, snitch on them. Um, they just risked their everything for somebody else's everything at the same time so they could house six people uh, in their home and uh, they were going to ultimately pay the cost of that as well um, so in I'm just trying to think 19 I think it was 44 uh, another uh, person in their community uh, told the Gestapo the, the police at the time what they were doing and they ended up having their, their house ransacked um, on the day that, uh, that it happened, Corrie was exceptionally ill. She was, you know, getting a bit older at this point. And you think you're having a bad day <laughs> when you're laid up in bed, you've got a like, really bad cold, you can't breathe. And then suddenly the police turn up on that day. You're like, Corrie, it could have been a day when she was doing better. You know, if she wanted to complain to God at that point, she could have done. But God knows what he's doing. And um, 
So basically, they ransack the house, and they, they're trying to look for these hidden Jews, which they can't find, because obviously they built a very good <laughs> secret room. And they put all the family into one room downstairs. And they had certain signals in their window, which indicated to people outside whether their home was safe to come into or not. And this signal had smashed on the floor, which was a good thing, because then people wouldn't then come to their house. But what then happened after a lot of interrogation, like she was uh, beaten up, her sister was beaten up, her father was beaten up, um, all in attempt to try and get information out of them, which they didn't give. They then realised that this smashed up piece of signal was a signal, and they put it back in the window. And it's a little bit like buses, they all come at once. Everybody then seemed to be start knocking at their door, going, trying to warn them that the police were coming, not knowing <coughs> the police was already there. So... Actually, on that day, rather than just their family, a huge amount of people ended up being arrested um, and taken uh, to concentration camps, all that sort of stuff, because of that signal in the window. But again, God knows what he's doing. Um, so that's a little bit of the lead-up. So she's had a rem- she had a remarkable life way before the war even begun. Like It blows me away what she was invested in and why she did it, because of her heart for God, and that people needed to know the good news of Jesus. So she was a youth worker, she uh, looked after those with learning difficulties, she was the first woman to become a licensed watchmaker. She was, I would say she was pretty determined in her character. Sometimes it's good to pick out other people's character traits and go, oh, I like that in you. And she often describes herself as stubborn. I quite like that trait because I'm quite stubborn at times as well. Uh, it can get you into trouble too, but she used it a lot, or God used it in her a lot of the time to uh, keep pushing through the hardships or uh, overcome other people's hardships to see uh, God's glory come uh, in her time. So, um, yes, so we're going to have a couple of stories told. Um, I would hate to do something on Corrie and not for you guys to hear a couple of the stories. She, for me, she writes really well. She conveys her heart so well and the situations she faced um, so Tim's going to come and read one of her stories um, just to give you a bit of context about the story um, so indeed she did get arrested her and her family then put into concentration camps during this time uh, multiple members of her family died she never saw them again um, and her and her sister ended up at the same concentration camp and remarkable stories there about the sister relationship that they had. And actually, Betsy, if you want to read someone's story, potentially had a stronger faith in God's promises than she did. Betsy was a constant encouragement to Corrie. Um, and they worked, God worked amazing things through their being in the same place at the same time. Um, so the story Tim's going to read is that she has been in uh, three concentration camps at this point. Um, after about 10 months, and now she's been in one called Ravensbrück, which is, was quite notoriously a bad one. Um, and there, she's in there with thousands of other women. One, uh, one quick story before we get to the one Tim will read is they had such a heart for these women that they'd ended up with in that they, they said, God, well, how do we minister to these women that we'll get beatings for if they find us? Um, and they were in a massive warehouse of bed plinths, um, and they, were in, they ended up being in the worst one that had bed mites. So I don't know if you've ever experienced bed mites. I hope you never do. 
they're itchy, disgusting, you don't want to, they're quite, you pick them up very easily. And um, the, the officers would never go very far into their warehouse because of all these bed mites. <coughs> so God's grace on them was to give the place bed mites for the women, the, the, the knowledge of Jesus, because of these sisters that then held meetings every night going, right, let's pray together, let's get into the word. Do you know the word? We'll tell you some of the word. And um, so, yeah, very cool <coughs> things like that happened, which you might... We might think, I might not think, I don't want to experience bed mites. But God goes, there's a bigger purpose than our discomfort sometimes. Because it's actually an opportunity to share with other people the goodness of God. Um, So Tim, if you don't mind coming up and reading the story. If you like to close your eyes when a story's being read, that's absolutely fine. Um, Just don't fall asleep because we will be coming back again. It was a week after Betsy had died in Ravensbrook that I took my place in the ranks of women prisoners standing together in the icy cold of the early morning. 66730, that is my number, I said weakly as we stood at our faces for a roll call. Ten Boom Cornelia, that is my name, I thought. How strange they would call my name and they always addressed me by my number. Come forward. We were falling in line for the roll call, telling a line. Every one hundredth woman, sorry, every one hundredth woman, one step forward. My friends looked at me sadly. What does it mean? They asked inwardly. Punishment, freedom, a gas chamber, sent to another concentration camp. There was but one thought that comforted me. What a joy that Betsy, as her sister, was in heaven. No matter what terrible things now happened, she will not have to bear it. The guard, a young German girl, shouted at me, 66730. I stepped forward, stood at attention, and repeated the necessary words. Love about the German. Schuftafling ten boom, Cornelia, Meldet Sieg. Stand on number one on the roll call. I went to the place to the far right where I could overlook the entire square of the Greek camp. Standing in the crowd, I could not feel the draught, but now, standing in the bitter cold, the wind whipped through my ragged prison dress. Another girl, young and frightened, was sent to stand beside me. Roll call took three hours, and we were almost frozen. She saw how cold I was, and rubbed my spine when the guards were not looking. Why must I stand here? I asked through chattering teeth. Her answer was barely audible, as it came from her blue lips death sentence I turn back to the Lord perhaps I'll see you soon face to face like Betsy does now Lord let it not be too cruel a killing not gas Lord nor hanging I prefer shooting it's so quick you see something you hear something and it's finished I look back at the young girl beside me Lord this is perhaps the last chance I have to bring someone to you before I arrive in heaven use me Lord Give you all the love and wisdom I need. What is your name? I asked her softly, glancing always to see if the guards were looking. Tiny. I am Corrie, I whispered. How long have you been here? Two years. Did you ever read the Bible? No, I never did. did you, do you believe God exists? I do. I wish I knew more about him. Do you know him? I do. 
Jesus, his son, came to this world to carry out punishment. He died on the cross, but he rose from the dead and has promised to be with you always. My sister died here. She suffered so much. I too have suffered. But Jesus is always with us. He did a miracle in taking away all my hatred and bitterness from my enemies. Jesus is willing to bring into our hearts God's love through his Holy Spirit. Tiny listened. For almost three hours we talked while the guards completed the roll call. It was a miracle for I had a chance to explain many things about Jesus. The prisoners behind us listened too. I felt happy. Perhaps this was my last chance in life, but what a joy. I continued, Jesus wants to live in your heart. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, he says. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in. You open the door of your heart and let him come in and change you. I will, she said. Then talk to him. Tell him whatever you think. Now you have a friend who will never leave you alone. The siren sounded and the guards shouted at the prisoners, Get to work! Thousands of women prisoners were running to their places without to march to their work. Tiny disappeared from sight. Only I was left standing in my place where I had been ordered not to move. I still did not know what fate awaited me. I did know, however, that God, who never slumbers or sleeps, was now with Tiny, and Tiny knew it too. Neither of us knew at the time how important that was going to be to her in the next few days. But above the din of the concentration camp, I thought I heard the singing of the angels. Then I heard my name called. Was it death? Oh, thank God, no, it was life. I was being released. I later learned it through an administrative blunder, but even then I knew it was not the end of an era. It was just the beginning. Ahead of me was the world. So, even in the face of death, where she literally thought she was about to face the death sentence, her priority was, does this young lady next to me know about Jesus? Because she could be heading for the same thing. (laughs) Which is a remarkable thought, isn't it? Because we can get so easily consumed with ourselves on our own well-being that we can forget the people that are around us and go, actually, what's what's the eternal consequence of not sharing with them the good news of Jesus? And... It's often that people are more open to, to Jesus than maybe what we expect. Uh, with the British culture, we tend to be quite reserved and go, you know what, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say anyway. Sounds a bit like boasting or, you know, I don't want to be confrontational. And I think the advantage of maybe those from Holland, they have a, a, maybe a disposition which is a bit more straightforward and that's how they discuss things and it's more open. But... Um, I guess the, the challenge for me when I was doing this is what, who, was the last time, who was the last person I told about Jesus? And maybe that's a question for you. Is it a priority in my heart for somebody else to know about Jesus? Or am I keeping him entirely to myself um, and almost being selfish by going, I'm going to go to heaven, but hang on, I'm not actually going to give you an opportunity to hear it. Um, and I was chatting to someone the other day and just talking about school life at the moment and uh, primary school and how those that don't go to a Christian primary school will not actually have the opportunity to hear the gospel or the words through songs that they would have sung in assemblies. They're now singing pop songs in assemblies. So, and that's, that's, that's a norm to them. 
they're not going to know any different. They're so young that that's just what they do. So where's, our, where's it coming to our game plan to go, well, if this is all they're hearing and they're not actually going to hear about Jesus, where's my role in that? And this is very much my challenge to myself as I've been reading about Corrie. And she was so straight up with the gospel and willing to put herself on the line uh, to share it. It's just, what does that look like in our own context, really? Uh, whether it be work, school, college, um, at the school gate, wherever. It doesn't matter, but the context is the person. Every contact matters. We don't know where they'll be tomorrow um, or the next day, but we have an opportunity. And that's what Corrie was very good at doing. She was good at taking the opportunities that God put before her as well. Um, so a nice little challenge there to think about and sort of maybe take away from uh, this morning if you take nothing else. Um, so, yeah, so she got released from concentration camp by an absolute blunder. So I don't know if you ever realise, you know, a bit of a, a coincidence, God incidence, that sort of thing. You've ever experienced that sort of stuff as well. Is uh, Often a blunder might be God's plan. Uh, something that we thought wouldn't happen, he's instigated. Um, so she was let out due to an administrative blunder. What a shame. Because then she went on to the second part of her story. At this point she's age 52. So I want to speak to those that might be uh, in that age category or older. This is when her ministry, if you want to uh, put it in quotes, truly began. So she was 52 and her ministry carried on right until she died when she was 91, 92. So um, she had 40 years of ministry time. You know, ministry is just what God puts in your heart to, to do for other people. and doesn't necessarily mean something in the church. And um, so she spent the next 40 years declaring the gospel. And she, she resolved in herself to go and share the good news. Um, and that's the calling God had given her as well. Um, and she went to 60 countries whilst doing this. She, her, she spent time with Christians to encourage them. She went to speak to non-Christians uh, to tell them the good news. And um, she, you know the song at the moment, Reckless Love? We've sung it a couple of times in church about God going after the one from the 99. God really put it on her heart to do that, um, to go after the one in the 99. She spent a lot of time in jails, in churches, in people's homes. Um, and initially that ministry was, uh, people didn't recognise it. They wouldn't really let her into their church. She wasn't a trusted person. But as it grew and people knew to trust her uh, and what God was doing in her, it just grew and grew and grew and got bigger. Um, she was knighted by the Queen of the Netherlands. So it's amazing when your own country acknowledges the work that you've been doing. Um, but it's interesting, I was doing some research on her and Wikipedia and other historical artefacts uh, have her down as an activist. Whereas we might say, you know, covert missionary, but she's actually very overt, wasn't she, in her missionary period. But they call her an activist. We say she was going for God and wanting to tell others about it. Um, she wrote loads of books. Uh, by the time she was 79, in her later years, she then wrote The Hiding Place uh, about her time in the World War II. Uh, she then wrote Tramp for the Lord about her ministry time. Uh, she wrote uh, uh, In My Father's House, which was her life before the war. Um, she just wrote loads of books. She was obviously a good writer and discovered this later on in her life. Um, and it might be that you have the gift for writing. We don't know about these stories. We only know about these stories because somebody wrote them down. 
they didn't get lost. There's a lot of people who are history makers that we won't be covering because their stories never got written down. Um, so maybe your gift for writing will write down other people's stories. So something, if you are a writer, I would maybe encourage you to explore that in terms of what it looks like in terms of writing down other people's stories. Because the Bible was written down, and God knows that when we have things written down, we can pass it on and on and on and on. So what stories, what people are you encountering that maybe you think, I'm going to write that down? Maybe for my own encouragement or to one day pass it on to somebody else. Chloe, you're doing some writing at the moment. Um, so maybe there's opportunities there to write more stuff about people's lives. And you just think there's a lot of opportunity uh, to do that. Um, so I have a few of her books here which I'd like to give away. I do apologise for the, the wear and tear of them. And the one that I wanted to most give away, which is The Hiding Place, which is her time in World War II, uh, didn't come through the post. So I'm trusting God knows what happened to that one. Somebody else might have got it entirely. But um, has anybody not read her books before? Oh, I don't have that many books. <laughs> um, so the first one is uh, In My Father's House. This is about her life before the, uh, the World War II and everything going into that. Would anybody like this book? Oh, 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 it's hard. I just, are you sure? Yeah, I'll <laughs> I'd love to write to the back. You're right to pass it backwards, that would be grand. And if you've read it, pass it on. Like, that's the gift of books. Don't put it on Amazon, just give it to somebody else. It's all good. Um, Tramp for the Lord. It's uh, all about her time that she spent in her ministry times after World War II. Um, has anybody got a calling on their life where you feel like you're being asked to deliberately share the gospel? You sort of feel like there's maybe a slight evangelistic edge <laughs> to you. There's a giggle over there. I think maybe this one's for you. Um, it's just a very good book. In, if you want to get on, it's called Tramp for the Lord. It's very good at just showing you how to convey the gospel through everyday things everyday situations um, so I would recommend that if you've got that edge just to read that because you can mimic her stories and go wow the way she got into that conversation I would never have thought of so it's very good um, and then because you keep popping your hand up this is a, a, a daily devotional that she did which is again just encouraging um, and because history makers Corrie ten Boom would be the first one to say don't look at me look at God um, I want to share a couple of other people's books that are good encouragements as well. The first one she had a fair bit of work with to start off with, which was Brother Andrew. Um, he uh, pioneered getting Bibles into China um, and smuggling those in. He's got a real heart for the lost in Asia um, and just a remarkable story of his journey and how he got there. Would anybody like to be inspired? Yes, there we go. And then the last one is, uh, anyone's heard of Adrian Holloway? Yeah. Um, he is coming to speak at our church on the 9th of September, I think. It's that weekend anyway. And he's coming to do an event on the Saturday all about apologetics. Um, apologetics is answering questions, really, the what, why and how of our faith and how you might convey that to somebody else. Um, and he wrote a couple of books, this one being The Shock of Your Life and the other one being 
Hey, there we go. Everything's fine. Um, and it just addresses some of the questions about heaven, uh, suffering, um, and just some of the questions that you might be asking. Um, would anybody like this book? There we go. Um, why do I give out books? I'm not a huge reader myself, but I know when I found a good book, it, it's really changed the way I start to think and the way I start to do my life. So I pray that those books will be an encouragement to you guys. And please do pass them on uh, so you can encourage others as well. I imagine each and every one of you would have a book in your mind that you think, oh, you know what, that's a really good one. So maybe start recommending these books to each other. Yeah, I would recommend every one of Corrie's because it, it suits me to the ground. It really fits the way I think, and I'm like, oh, I really like it. But what have you been reading that you can tell somebody else about that you think, you know what, that really might give them a cutting edge in this area or might encourage them. Um, right, so we're edging towards the end of her life. Um, what's the time? Half past. Uh, so she died at the age of 91. And you think such a woman of God's glory, she would have, she would have gone to bed, gone to sleep, and just been taken. But um, taken sounds a bit dubious, doesn't it? Gone home. Um, but it didn't. At the age of 85, she had massive amount of strokes all in a very short period, which resulted in her being like quadriplegic, paralysed. She couldn't talk. She couldn't move. She was bed-bound. So this was at the end of, you know, when she's 85, she's moved to California at this point because she didn't realise she's not as physically fit as she was, but she'll still take people to her home so that she administered to them there. But she, with these massive amount of strokes, she then physically couldn't move or couldn't talk anymore. And for six years of her life, she became bed-bound, which... We, through our human eyes, would go, God, that's not fair. She has done so much for you. She has walked a hard line. She went through concentration camps. She still shared your gospel in that time. She then spent 40 years telling the world about Jesus. And then she was to be bedbound for six years. That can't be fair. Can it? In our human minds, in our worldly ways, we go, no, surely not. I wouldn't sentence anybody to that. I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But that's what happened. And this is where a sort of a link from Alache's talk last week is that God is sovereign. We've got to start there in order to trust everything else that goes on. And um, she, there are some other books that she wrote during that time. She learned to communicate via blinking. And um, she had uh, sort of a, an assistant that looked after her. And uh, she still wrote books. Remarkable, isn't it? Absolutely remarkable. I would be giving myself permission to be in a pit of depression for the next six years of my life. But she, she went through ups and downs, but she still pursued what actually was the core of her heart, was to share Jesus with others and his encouragement, which is just astounding. Because... Um, yeah, I remember breaking my ankle a couple of years ago. And just, oh, God, I love sport. You know, when something gets taken away from you, it's so easy to go, God, why? But he is sovereign. He is sovereign over everything. Um, and it's something that you have to outwork, isn't it? God's sovereignty in your life and things that happen. Why do they happen? You might never get answers to those things. 
But you know what? God is good. He is faithful. His promises remain sure. And he is sovereign over all things. So she spent six years bedbound, and then she, she died when she was 91. So she had a phenomenal life, and it all got written down, and she wrote a lot of it down herself as an encouragement uh, for other people and us here today. Um, but she, just to sort of finish why she did what she did, um, just as the World War II was starting, and she had her youth groups at that time, uh, one of the groups that she was in uh, was going, why, why is this happening? You know, they're only teenagers at the time. They're about to live through probably some of the worst years of their life. And um, she said, you know what? We have great fun in our clubs, but that isn't why we came together. And do we remember why we come together? We could be like, we have a great time at church, but actually that isn't why we come together. We come together to hear about Jesus, to share the good news, to be able to go out of here and share it with other people as well. And um, the second thing that to sort of take away is that she said, it is not our task to give God instructions. We are simply to report for duty. And that was her mentality day after day after day. It wasn't her task to give God instructions as to what should happen that day, but it was she was literally reporting for duty each and every day. And not because she wanted to have fun, although the clubs and all the things that she did were good, the friends that she made, but she was like, that's not the reason we've come together. That's not the reason I'm here. I'm here to share with you about Jesus. So um, on that note, we're going to close and finish. Um, I would recommend you buy her books, anyone. They're all pretty good. And um, just, uh, yeah, have a think. Why are you doing what you're doing? When was the last time you told someone about Jesus? And is the good news still good for you? Because that will impact the way you love other people as well. So thank you for listening. And cafes downstairs. And don't forget to collect your kids as well. <laughs>